This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, I'm Dr. Margaret, and thanks so much for joining me today on Self Work. I've actually been gone on a vacation for a couple of weeks. I pre-recorded some episodes, of course, but I'm so glad to be back. There's one thing about doing what I do for a living as a psychologist. It really feeds me, and so I'm glad to be back here on self-work. I'm actually going to start seeing patients today, too, so I'm glad to do that. It's nice to love what you do. Before we get started, I want to thank those of you who've left me a review or a rating on iTunes. You can't know how much that helps. Sarah, three boys, and I don't quite know how to say this, Devisboard, your reviews help me understand what you like about the podcast, what means something to you, and what I can improve on. So thank you so much. For those of you perhaps new to the program, I'm a psychologist in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I started podcasting almost a year ago, which I can't really believe. Well, I'll have to celebrate my anniversary pretty soon. And I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to people who might never have talked to a psychologist before, might not know what it would be like to listen in on a session or be involved in therapy. And so self-work was born. Today, we're going to be talking about falling back in love. I wrote about this topic for the Huffington Post a couple of years ago, and it steadily brings in referrals for me. So people are very interested in what happens in a relationship that keeps it vital. And if you're in trouble, what do you do to try to change it? How do you prevent yourself from hearing those dreaded words, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore? I want to stress, this is a job for two people. You can work really hard in a relationship, but if your partner's not working hard too, or at least not paying attention to the relationship, then falling out of love is easier than you think. I'm going to talk about a question that I like to ask couples in my practice that I hope is helpful. And then I'm going to go on and talk about 10 things to consider that might be reasons why you're not in love and that you can find your way back. And then, as in every episode, we're going to have an email from a listener This was written by a young woman who had researched what was wrong with her and believed that she had what's termed a personality disorder, but she couldn't get anyone to diagnose her with it. So what do you do when you believe you know something is wrong, but you can't get a mental health practitioner or a psychiatrist to diagnose you? Is that dangerous or is it not? So we'll jump right in to talk about falling back in love. I've heard some discussions in the past about how being in love shouldn't be hard work, that it's just natural, it's innate. You love someone and you're going to stay in love with them. But that's not been my experience. It's not luck, but it is a choice and it is some work. I've watched many people decide to divorce, to admit they failed in maintaining love for somebody they had vowed to love. And it doesn't feel good. It feels awful, in fact, and I know because as some of you who regularly listen to the program, I 
have been divorced. Of course, another hard truth is that some people remain married or committed for the wrong reasons or for certainly not great reasons, financial reasons, the kids, habit. So I like to ask a question in therapy when I have a couple sitting in front of me, and I do a fair amount of couples' work. In fact, I found it really fascinating to try to reach two people who have very different perspectives frequently and to try to help guide them toward better communication or healing in some way. So here's the question. Knowing all the things you know now, why would you marry your partner today? Or if you're not married, of course, we're talking about just being committed. Why would you say I do all over again? Now, if you don't know the answer to that question, it's pretty likely that you're not all that happy in your relationship. That's not to say it's hopeless, but something is missing. You're obviously going to know things about your partner that you didn't know. You may have thought they were going to change or that, sadly, you could change them. And now you know differently. But why would you marry them today? So I did some thinking about the common problems that I see and hear people bring into therapy as issues that they're struggling with that are keeping them from feeling really connected. And I came up with 10 basic things. So here's the first. Maybe you're hanging on to resentment. You know, forgiveness is essential in a long-term relationship. But bitterness is something that kills a relationship and the soul of the person who feels it. When I have someone who is bitter in front of me, I can almost feel it in the room. The word forgiveness is fairly emotionally laden and sometimes spiritually laden. So it's a word that I try to stay away from in therapy, frankly. But it is essential to know how to move on to recognize the humanity of your partner, recognize your own humanity, and not carry around a lot of bitterness or resentment. Working through that can be hard, but I find that the best motivation for that is to look at someone and say, do you realize what your bitterness is doing to you? You may think that holding on to that resentment is somehow punishing your partner or causing them to feel bad, but the real damage is to you. So the second issue could be that the two of you have ignored your relationship. This is a very common problem and one that seems to sneak up on people because they think they're doing good. They're taking care of their children. They're doing a good job at work. They're helping out family. But when you put all of that first, always, it can really damage your relationship and it's so easily justified. I need to make money so we can send the kids to college. I'm so busy getting the kids to all these activities, I don't have time to do anything else. I'm incredibly tired after working all day. But if your marriage takes a back seat, I promise you it will die a slow death. You've got to find time for each other. The third thing, maybe you're not happy with yourself. Frequently I'll have someone call and say, well, I want to come into therapy because I'm not happy in my relationship. I usually just listen, of course, but then when they come in, I usually suggest to them that we've got to figure out whether they're really happy with themselves first before you can assess accurately your relationship. And of course, if you've been attracted to someone else, 
then that is really going to be a problem. Affairs are frequently about believing that someone else holds the power to make your life what you've always thought it could be. But actually, you hold that power. You may have trauma or hurt from the past that's governing you that you don't even realize. You're struggling with getting older. Perhaps your own life isn't what you thought it would be. Of course, it could be your relationship. I'm not saying that. But these things about yourself need to be considered very carefully. Here's the fourth issue. You don't touch each other, literally. I've always been amazed about this because we see so much sex on television or in our programming, but there are many, many couples who don't even touch, ever. Whether it's because they're worn out or that it's gotten awkward, they'll fantasize about the way they used to feel about one another or perhaps, again, unfortunately, about someone else. But learning how to get through that awkwardness that may have established itself and to literally simply touch, at least do that first. I give a suggestion that couples who don't touch simply every time one of them leaves the house, they do something to connect, give a hug, or perhaps just touch someone on the shoulder as you're walking out of the house. Let them know that you are present physically with them. It can make a big difference. The fifth idea is a simple one as well. In fact, most of these are pretty simple. Maybe you haven't laughed in a long time. I know people who say they love laughing and talking with their friends, but there's no fun anymore in their relationship. Trying to keep a sense of humor and seeing your partner in a funny way or a poignant way, a tender way, and sharing a laugh together, that's intimacy. It's just a different kind. But then a couple will say to me, well, how do we start being funny? How do we insert that into a relationship? You can do it. You just have to not take things quite so seriously and think about what you used to love. My husband, for example, uses post-it notes. (laughs) I'm much messier than he is. And sometimes I'll pick up a pair of shoes and there'll be a post-it note under it saying, I outweighted you. (laughs) So you can do all kinds of things just to laugh together. And if you are struggling with that yourself, perhaps you ought to consider that you might be getting depressed yourself. When you're depressed, obviously, there's very little that's funny. I think number six is huge. You don't have anything you're striving for together. This happens when people don't talk. They don't realize the importance of having a common goal. I don't care whether it's work in your community or in a church or in your own lives. If you have a common goal, it will bring fresh excitement and a sense of purpose to your marriage. What are the two of you about? What do you care about together? These are important questions to answer. And so frequently, we only have our children to form that bond. Oh, well, we're raising the kids together. But what happens when the kids leave? Which is their job to do. So sitting down and talking about, do we want to plant a garden Do we want to get involved in a nonprofit group in the community? What do we want to spend our time together doing and working toward? Here's number seven. You've not accepted the loss nor appreciated the gain. You know, if you've been together for a while, in all likelihood, you've had experiences that have de-romanticized your partner. You've seen them really sick, pouting, irritable. They've hurt you, disappointed you, and you 
have done the same with them. They've lost whatever rock star quality they had at the beginning, for sure. That means you've been through life together. But what can exist instead when you've been through all those years? There can exist a depth of feeling and experience that's really irreplaceable. And it's to be treasured. And perhaps you're one of those people who focus on what was instead of what is. It can't be new again. You have to, in some ways, grieve that you'll never feel that rush of what I call lust love. It's exciting. It was great. It had its place in your life. But now there's a different kind of love, a deeper kind of understanding. All of that can be accepted and appreciated. Here's one that may surprise you. You don't care enough to get mad. Apathy has set in. I talk a lot with my couples about anger being about identity. We so associate anger with violence, but it's really about identity. And if you don't fight with your partner about anything, you're not being present in the relationship. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about abuse, but when you get mad, when you let your partner know that something is bothering you, something is threatening you, you continue to grow together. I often remind people that we spend six, eight, 10, 12 hours away from each other every day. And the things that are happening in your day change you. So you're changing, your partner's changing, and it can be exciting to talk about those differences, even if it involves anger. The ninth one is a little different and is more specific. If you had an affair before you were married, you may never have addressed trust issues. When I have a couple in front of me that say that their relationship began with an affair, I'm certainly not going to be judgmental, but I immediately ask them, so how did you address trust? The ones that look at me blankly and say, what do you mean? I know perhaps that's part of the problem. It's their obvious reality that someone has the capability of going outside of a relationship in order to get a need met. So working on trust in a relationship where you began it with an affair is vital so that you don't walk around year after year after year waiting for the other shoe to drop, for the person who you love to disappoint you by once again not honoring that boundary. It's hard to talk about because it's unpleasant, but it's really vital. Then the last one is all about social media. Don't romanticize what you see in others. My husband and I just had an anniversary trip, for example, and I put some pictures on Facebook. But as I looked at the pictures, and of course, we were smiling and laughing and talking, and I also thought, well, you know, I didn't put a picture of when my husband got sick or that my luggage was lost and I wore one pair of shoes the whole time and had blisters on my feet. You know, that stuff, I didn't take a picture of my blisters for social media. So everything can look so rosy. And we did, we did have a wonderful trip, but everything can seem dreamy and fantastic and out of this world on social media when there are obviously some things that happen that aren't so peachy, right? <laughs> so please try to avoid being on social media and comparing yourself to others. There's more to the picture than you can see. So, what would cause you to marry your partner all over again? 
I really want you to think about that question because it's so important to have a good, positive, meaningful, sincere answer. Knowing what you know now, why would you marry your partner all over again? Perhaps you can find answers that surprise you and even warm your heart. The email from a listener today, and I need to find a phrase to say this. If any of you can think of a fun thing to say about an email from a listener, let me know. Write me at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. But here's her question. Hello, I'm a 17-year-old from Spain. I have self-harmed for five years and have always had suicidal thoughts. Last year, I looked up what was wrong with me. I read everything I found with the word self-harm. I think I have borderline personality disorder, but after several psychologists and psychiatrists, no one wants to diagnose me with anything. They say they treat symptoms, but I want to know what's wrong. They say I'm like my own mother because I'm very mature and I've done parents' work. But my parents didn't even know I self-harmed until I told them, although it was very obvious. I also suffer from anxiety and an eating disorder. I don't usually trust therapists, and I don't know what to do next. My last therapist made my parents take my phone away for no reason and without telling me. I never went back. Please, I'd love to know your opinion. This young woman at a very young age is obviously having some very serious symptoms What people often mean by self-harm is cutting, and cutting has become something that some adolescents do for attention or because other adolescents are doing it, but it is a frequent problem with certain kinds of depression and borderline personality disorder, as she indicates. One of the things that people tell me who have self-harmed is that the pain inside is so great that it feels like a relief to almost make that pain tangible. It is a distraction from what's going on inside. So that's one of the reasons why I chose this email because I've not talked about self-mutilation or self-harm as of yet on self-work. Stopping the behavior is really important in order to find out what's going on on the inside that's so harmful. Here's my actual answer to her email. Hello, I'm sorry you're having such a struggle with what sound like very serious symptoms. One of the reasons the medical professions involved won't diagnose you is that diagnoses such as borderline personality disorder are adult diagnoses, most often not given to children. In fact, you have to be 18 or over to actually be diagnosed with a personality disorder. I found that the most important factor for healing is your relationship with a therapist, finding one you trust and who gives you things to think about or do that are helpful. I'm not familiar with the mental health system in Spain, however. I can hear your frustration and that you've tried several clinicians. If you're developing something like borderline personality disorder, there is a specific technique for it called dialectical behavior therapy. And there are workbooks that you can buy. And so I give her the link. And that will also be in your show notes. But I continue. You wouldn't have written me if you weren't still fighting for yourself, hopefully with the right medications and the right therapist. You can get better. Good luck to you, Dr. Margaret. And she wrote me back. Thank you so much. I've seemed to find the right therapist, and he says every questionnaire shows that I'm right. I guess she means that she is developing borderline personality disorder. 
We're working on it now, although it's expensive. Thank you for being caring and giving us, people who struggle with mental illnesses, the chance to find someone able to help us or what she calls a comprehensive person. I wanted to thank someone who helps, who doesn't have the duty to do so. So I appreciate that very much. I love doing this podcast, and if I've been helpful in any way to any of you, that is an honor. I hope you'll reach out to me. I have a website at drmargaretrutherford.com, but you can always email me. I'm getting emails every week from people, and I'll answer you. It's askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, what you can do for me is tell your friends. Let them know that you've found a podcast that's about depression, anxiety, relationship issues. Of course, as I said earlier, you can leave a rating, a review on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen, and that would be so tremendous. I'd really appreciate it. I wanted to mention my gift book that's available on Amazon, Marriage is Not for Chickens. It's a little gift book, kind of down-to-earth, no-holds-barred look at marriage. I think it's a wonderful present to give someone you love, maybe to help you fall back in love. (laughs) And right now, if you'll go to my Facebook page or my website, drmargaretrutherford.com, I've got a sale going on. I've been married for 27 years, and you can get 27% off until about October the 12th. I think it was for 27 days. But you have to go to my website and check out this particular code that you can use to get that 27% off. Regularly, it's $9.95, so that makes it very affordable. Thank you for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.